Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I am Coach Manaman. Thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. For the latest news and notes and baseball content from the tri-state area, find us on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman, and our guest today is one I've been trying to get for a while. He actually ghosted me last season of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast after saying he would do it. I could not get a hold of him for some time, but I'm glad we held out, and I'm glad we're doing this interview when we did because since writing the interview questions and sending him, he is the newly inducted Clark University Hall of Fame member Andrew Redman, who had a great career playing at Clark, currently coaches at Clark, uh, standout for the Key West Ramblers, and was the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast all-decade pitcher 2010 to 2020 when we recorded that episode. Red, welcome. First time as a guest to be interviewed to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. Glad to be here. Sorry I ghosted you last year, but um, hopefully we can put together a good one here for people. You know, they say everything happens for a reason. Let's let's <laughs> talk. Let's talk about the Hall of Fame. Did did you know that was something that was on the horizon, that was on the radar? Or were you just kind of caught off guard one day when you saw a tweet or somebody reached out to you and told you this had happened, or was it something that was in the works for a while? No, I, I really didn't know anything about it until uh, earlier this summer. I received an email from um, our athletic director saying that um, I was nominated and, you know, I, I had to formally accept it. Uh, but, yeah, it was something I really wasn't expecting. I didn't I didn't really understand the, the process, how many years out of college you had to be, you know, just to be put into the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, it was a surprise. It's pretty cool, though. That's great how you dodged how old you are by saying you had to be out of college for uh, for so many years. Now, you still play at a great level. Um, what age are you these days? Uh, 30. 30. 30 years young. And I'm sitting yep. here at 40. But I do want to talk about this. You, I would have to say, are the most respected man in our baseball community in Dubuque here teammates, managers, coaches, umpires, fans. I didn't ask anybody from Cascade. I heard there was a little dust up this year. I heard I heard from, from some people that Cascade was throwing at you one game. I cannot confirm or deny that. I just know what uh, my sources were telling me. But I've never heard anybody ever say anything bad about you what is it about you why do you think that is what is it about your character or your game that i would consider you one of the most respected baseball people in the area yeah i mean i think that respect word is something i try to live by you know just playing the game uh respecting teammates respecting opponents respecting umpires you know it's probably eight years ago you know i 
I told myself baseball isn't who I am. You know, it's something that I do. It's something I play. It's something I coach. Um, and who I am is, I guess, really how I treat other people. So that's what it comes down to for me. You know, I, I, I want to win as much as anybody on the field. Um, but I also want to respect people. Um, when it comes to umpires, I mean, they're human too, right? They're out there doing something that they love to do. They want to be around the game. They do it for basically nothing, right? So, hey, you're an umpire. Yeah, you umpire one of our games this summer, right? So you get it. You're not making much money, but you love the game and you want to be a part of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hate when people use the excuse, you know, I'm, I'm just a competitor. I'm out there to compete. You know, I think that's crap. You know, if you can't treat people with respect and be a competitor at the same time, I, I just don't want to hear it from you, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I try to treat people with respect, um, and, and they usually give it back. So hopefully at the end of the day, you know, they, they think of me as a, as a good person, not just a good baseball player. And I will say that, um, Rickardsville and Key West did treat me very well, uh, that game. I can't say so much about my debut, um, doing a semi-pro tournament um, in Piasta. But, um, yeah, you guys were a class act, and Rick- Rickardsville was a class act all the way around. I also don't think I missed a call that game, too, which made it a, a little easier. We do, have, <laughs> we do have one audience question. So, I mean, you are inducted in the Hall of Fame, but you are not as cool as you think you are. But Jim Conrady wants to know, when you were coming up through the Independent League, who were some of the top pitchers in your age division besides you? And I always tell people that you were kind of like a late bloomer. I mean, you weren't one of those kids that came through the independent league and was always the best and was always the top. So who were some of the top arms growing up? Yeah, you know, a couple that come to mind, um, Jeremy Girardi and Ryan Doty were two really good arms that we had to face quite a bit. Uh, those are two guys that you showed up and, uh, you better be locked in all game, uh, because they'll probably strike out. Well, there are six inning games and they're probably going to strike out 12 to 15 of you. So those were two really good arms that we had to face, uh, on a consistent basis. Those are the two guys that come to mind there. It's interesting too, you, to go back to umpiring this year. I, I got asked to umpire the end of the year independent league tournament. And a lot of the top independent league pitchers I also umpired at the high school level. Down at the sports complex, that mound is five feet uh, closer to home plate. Man, those guys are throwing gas. But then when we played, um, when I umped them at the high school level, I mean, they were above average to um, average average chuckers there. And, and the ones that were really successful at the high school level had, had a great change or a good breaking ball to go with it. When you were at high school at Hempstead, you were one of the top players in the state, feared hitter and monster on the mound. What do you remember most about your playing days for the Mustangs? Yeah, I would definitely teammates. You know, the memories of going to the state tournament back in 2008, 2010. Uh, The coaches, you know, I got to play for Coach Wittry, Coach Rapp, Coach Deutsch. Um, for Grant Boat too for a year, you know, before he passed. Lucky, lucky to have him for a year. But yeah, I would say teammates, a couple of those, you know, cool moments at the state tournament. Um, and then the coaches that, you know, we're still able to connect with um, every once in a while. We're going to talk about streaks here and we're going to talk about streaks a little later. But you went on 
and your teammates went on a pretty crazy run at Hempstead. Tell us a little bit about that winning streak. How long was it? Um, what were some of the defining moments to keep that streak alive and possibly how did it end? Yeah, so we went on a 22-game winning streak that in the 2010 year. So we had lost early in the year to Cedar Rapids Xavier, who had John Keller on the mound, who was drafted, I think, ninth round that year. So he was a good arm that we lost to. We lost to Waterloo West, uh, who had a, who actually at the time was a decent team. I don't know how their teams have been recently, but um, they had a couple Division One guys on that team. And then we lost, thirdly, to... Iowa City West, who ended up going to the state championship game, and I'll talk about them in a minute, but we lost to them the second game of the doubleheader. And then we go to, we rattle off 22 straight games, which included beating by the fifth, I think, a 10-run rule and a 15-run rule, the number one team in the state at the time, which I believe was Davenport Central. And I remember Rapper saying, he said, boys, you're still going to get home for dinner tonight after sweeping the number one team in, in the state, right? So... Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That was a, that was a pretty defining moment for us as a team because we knew that we could beat the best teams in the state, right? So that was pretty good there. Uh, probably the the craziest game of the entire season was the sub-state game against Senior. I don't know if you were at that game. I do. Uh, I but remember it, it quite well. Yeah, so so we're down. I, I don't – it might have been down three to two, four to three. It, it was a one-run game down to our last strike, and we have Josh Graves at the plate. Graveyard is what we call them. And with two strikes, it's a ground ball to third base. Andrew Powers, I think he was at third base, has to dive left, dive in the hole. He knocks it down but can't make the play. So I think that tied the game for us. We end up going into extra innings, and we end up pulling the game out. I, I Honestly... Maybe I blacked out for the last inning. I don't even remember the last inning. I just remember us winning the game, talking to, you know, the guys after the game and whatnot, and thank goodness we won. And then, you know, the next game in Substate, I think we won 7 nothing, 7-1, to and we kind of walked the state from there. But that was a very memorable game. Uh, still have some buddies to Soy, you know, Coach Soy from Senior. Uh, you know, I'm sure he remembers that game pretty well. But yeah, that was that was a fun season. Uh, but then, so we so we lose to Water, or uh, sorry, we lose to Iowa City West. We rattle off 22 straight. We get to the state semifinals, and then we lose again to I'm sorry, Iowa City West. We lose again to Iowa City West in the semis. Um, so yeah, it was a memorable streak. You know, 22 in a row. Uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. Why do you think that team? couldn't pull off a state championship was Iowa City West that much better or was it one of those games where everything that was hit hard was hit right at somebody and they had dinkers and dunkers that dropped in or did you guys just not play very well or did they just have one of those guys that whenever they got on the mound always won I just don't think we played a very good game against them you know I looking back at it you know, I remember myself not hitting well that game. Uh, you know, pitching wasn't great that game either. We had some phenomenal guys that had unbelievable years on the mound for us um, that were that were huge all year. And everybody, we all had confidence. Whoever stepped on the mound, we were good with it. Um, and I just feel like we just probably played one of our worst games of the year, you know, unfortunately, in that 
in that game. But Iowa City West was pretty loaded, though. They had some really good players. Uh, I think Sean Moore hit two balls out of Principal Park against us. That didn't help. I think one was a grand slam. But, yeah, I would just say we just didn't play a very good game, and they were they were just a little bit better that day. At the end of your high school career, you won a ton of awards, a lot of awards, made a lot of conference selections, a lot of state selections, too many to name off. We're going to break the Zoom time limit if I would name all those awards off, but Besides the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast Decade Pitcher of the Year, what award stands out to you most and why? Oh, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Alex Timmerman and I were uh, like co-Telegraph Herald Players of the Year. You know, I thought that was pretty cool to to share that award uh, with Timmy. You know, we, we had been playing together since freshman year. Uh, we were both on the sophomore team as freshmen, so we kind of came up together and for us both to have seasons that were worthy of that was was a pretty cool deal. After high school, you were getting some looks to play professional baseball. Whatever came out of that? Yeah, so out of high school, I wasn't necessarily getting looks. I had, I had went to a couple uh, oh with area code tryouts and a, a couple small things, but there really wasn't any serious looks. Um, I, I hadn't talked to any scouts or done any of that. That was a little bit more post-college. What was your path after high school? Yeah, so I went to Iowa Central for two years. Uh, got got to play for Coach Peterson out there. Uh, great guy, amazing leader. Uh, I owe a lot to him and, and to the person I am today, the way that I coach, the way that I play the game. Um, I actually wear number nine now because that was his number. He loved wearing number nine. So I kind of took that number over after, after my college playing days. But, uh, but yeah, so once I was such for two years, pitched for those guys and then came back to Clark and 2013 was the first season with them. I was a pitcher only for the first two years. My second year got hurt. And so was able to get a third year at Clark, uh, with the red shirt and uh, ended up being a two way player that last year for him. Is he still coaching, your old coach who you honor by wearing number nine? No, he actually, he gave it up, I want to say it was 2016, 2017, somewhere in that range. Uh, he's got three kids, and so he wanted to spend more time with the family. So I think he's just a, a, a professor down there at the, at the community college now. Good for him. Cool story. All the times I've talked to you on the record and off the record, I've, I've never heard that one before. What was it about Clark University that brought you there to finish out your college career? Oh, definitely Coach Spain. I mean, we've had a relationship that spans back to like 2007 uh, with the QS Ramblers. Uh, So he was at Marshalltown Community College. I think he was actually just finishing up there and then going to play at Iowa Wesleyan. And I was still in high school. Uh, So we were playing together on the QS Ramblers Fast forward, um, I'm trying to make a decision on where I want to go. Uh, the head coach had just been let go at Clark, and he was the top candidate. And I said, you know, if if you get the job, I'll come to Clark because I want to, you know, help turn this ship around and I want to make something happen with the program with you, right? So he called me up in June and said, I got the job. And I said, all right, let's go, you know, and that's that's how it all started. And you guys made history, huh? I mean, you guys had a yeah. remarkable turnaround out there. Yeah, he did a great job leading the program and turning things around. Cooper Stewart was his 
head assistant to start there too and and they both did a great job and yeah it's it's been a fun ride you were at clark as a, as a player and now you're there as a coach how's it different yeah i mean it's it's quite a bit different i i actually get the question quite a bit from our players you know cuz cuz obviously they know i played there and it's just a lot more uh it's a lot more selfless obviously you know you have to be you know you have a lot of time to put into other players development um whereas you know when you're playing it's just kind of you know what do i need to do to get better today to help the team win so yeah obviously there's more meetings and and more of this and more of that just like every job uh but uh you know it's just fun because coach Spain has has made it such an enjoyable job to to show up to every day and obviously coach Razo, coach Rudin, coach Foreman, you know all those guys have been phenomenal to be around every day. So, and really I I got to play with Razo, so you know we've been holding strong there for gosh, 8 years now. That's a great coaching staff. I remember uh coaching against Razo when he was doing freshman baseball at Waller and I was doing freshman baseball at Western Dubuque and he was just great. He got it. He knew what freshman baseball was. Uh, had uh, Anthony Rudin on the podcast. He's really well spoken. I've enjoyed the conversations that I've had with him. Got to know him as an assistant coach, and me umpiring him and Jimmy were were really kind to Tyler and myself and Ben Kettering, who I work with uh, every now and then as well. And we know Coach Spain. I, I have uh, four years left of college baseball eligibility. Every time I talk to that guy, I want to dust off the cleats and uh, go play for him. Now, Red, I I was thinking of something the other day in my classroom that I I really wanted to talk to you about, and and I added this in, so um, I hope I don't catch you off guard with this one, but you go to a lot of high school baseball games to support local baseball. A lot of your friends are coaches or your um, people that you played for are still coaching. And you also go there to do the recruiting aspect as well. I want to ask this because I've always wondered if it's BS or if it's true. But I see all the time on Twitter about you see people that are recruiting, whether they're colleges or professionals, and they'll tweet something along the lines. I saw a player get off the bus in flip-flops, so I left. I saw dad bring him a Gatorade during the game. I decided to leave. I was at the game or the showcase and I saw mom carrying his catcher's bag. That's one guy I'm not going to recruit. Does that stuff really happen? I mean, do you, do you know of that stuff happening? Or are those people just trying to get clickbaits and follows or likes? I, I don't know. I, did, I honestly have never talked to a coach that has brought that, that kind of stuff up in particular. Uh, yeah, I, I don't necessarily judge a player based on any of that stuff either. Um, is he a respectful kid? Does he hustle down the line? Uh, does he respect his teammates and umpires? I, whether, you know, whether dad brings a Gatorade to him in the dugout, sure, okay. I mean, it's not going to fly at the college level, but we can teach him that, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, I've never heard coaches talk about it like that. Maybe professional scouts do because they get pretty picky. I mean, they get down to, you know, every last detail about these players that they're giving money to. But yeah, from the college level, I, 
maybe Vanderbilt, LSU. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Tell the listeners I'm not crazy. Have you seen tweets and stuff like that on Twitter? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I okay, have. I've good. seen them over okay. the years. Yeah, absolutely. So my follow-up question to that was you already answered half of it. Um, you talked about what you looked like when you're recruiting um, for the character-wise. Anything else that you're looking for in a player character-wise? And for the local kids playing when they see you at a game, what might they think like when they're, list- when they're playing like skill-wise that you're looking for? Well, you know, from a skill perspective, we, we have an idea of where they're at, you know. Uh, in a game, there's, you're not necessarily going to become a better baseball player. We just want to, we want to watch and see what kind of teammate you are. Um, like I said before, are you running down the line hard? Are you playing the game the right way? Um, and then are you staying kind of within your abilities, you know, and not trying to do too much or make the big play or get the big hit, right? Because making the big play and, and getting the big hit come back to, are you focused in the moment? Right. So and are you focused on the right things? But from a talent perspective, you know, when we come to watch players, we kind of know where they're at. Uh, it's more just judging character, how they play the game. If, if we think they're going to fit the culture um, and, you know, hopefully win a lot of games with us. So at one point in your life, you left coaching to pursue other professions why did you leave coaching and then ultimately after a year, what brought you back? Yeah, so after the 2019 season uh, at Clark, I ended up leaving and going to work full-time at, at Dusty Rogers Baseball Academy. You know, at the time it was more, I, I wanted to, to just go explore a different route of baseball. You know, um, the scheduling was going to be a little bit different. You work with, you know, a different set of, of athlete um, it's more focused around the training part um, trying to help athletes get get into college and find the college that's best for them you know as they work their way up to 17 and 18 you uh, you know and I thought that would be an exciting job and it really was I really enjoyed doing that right um, but ultimately after after I had an eye injury that we'll we'll get to here but in in 2018 in November of 2018 that uh, you know, after about a year, you know, I, I thought maybe I need to get out of baseball for a little bit, take a break, kind of get away from that, that wound, I guess. And so I went and sold insurance at State Farm, actually for a player that I had coached at Clark, um, Lane Matson. And uh, so I was down there with him for uh, right around three months. And I think it was uh, about two months in, Coach Fain calls me and says, hey, Red, uh, How's it going? I said, well, it's okay. You know, I, how are you doing? Because at the time they were shut down for COVID, right? So their season got canceled. Last, I mean, the last person I expected to be to call from was Coach Spain. You know, like, okay, what's, what's Spain or what's he need here? And so he says, hey, uh, you know, they're giving me another full-time position. I said, so another full-time on top of Coach Raza, who was also full-time. He said, yeah. And I, before he could even say anything, I said, yeah, I'm in if you want me. And he's like, yep, that's all I needed to hear. So, I mean, that was basically the conversation. Um, there were some details that needed to get figured out. I had to, to go through a, a, an interview process and some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty easy decision because I figured out after three months of insurance that, uh, you know, I wanted to get back to baseball, 
I thought that break was enough for me to kind of clear things up and, you know, kind of figure out what I love to do. So yeah, that was, that was how it went. That's, that's a great story to hear. Um, I know I left coaching and a lot of people thought that I I would come back, but I, I really haven't missed it. If I could coach, that would be great. But coaching just really isn't coaching anymore at the high school level with, you know, fundraising and field work and doing a lot of that stuff. And I've been contemplating leaving education um, right now as we speak and have had some interviews outside of education, have had some great offers outside of education. But I I don't know. I I don't know what um, what the life uh, holds for me, but it's it's great to. it's great to hear your story on what what brought you back to the game of baseball. You mentioned it earlier. I was going to ask about it anyway, but you suffered a freak eye injury that hindered your ability to see and left you out of the batter's box for years. Uh, when did that happen and, and what happened? Explain the injury to us on, on how it unfolded. Yeah, so... It was November 13th of 2018, right? It was actually four days before I was getting married, okay? So that's another whole different thing that we don't need to get too crazy about. But um, anyway, so November 13th of 18, uh, our pitchers were, were going through a velocity phase, right? So obviously we need to make sure that we're, you know, getting radar readings um, to, to figure out where their progress is at. So. I'm behind the net. It's actually, it was a double net, two nets, double net. I'm behind it getting radar readings and a ball at 84 miles an hour goes to the net. I'm about a foot away, two feet away from the net. Hits me right in my left eye. Uh, I go down, we get, you know, we go over to the hospital. Um, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, it's, you know, I understand I just got hit. I can't see out of the eye, but I'm, I'm just hoping that I still have an eyeball at that point. Right. Um, so the, the ophthalmologist on call gets over to the ER, um, looks in the eye and says, well, good thing. It's not a ruptured eye. So basically I didn't lose the eye, but there was so much, you know, there's so much damage, so much blood in the eye that he couldn't see anymore. So I get, you know, stitched up in my eyebrow. And, you know, we go on, we have the wedding. I actually didn't have a lot of bruising because it struck my eyeball so direct and there wasn't a whole lot of outside bruising. Um, but then a couple weeks later, uh, I, you know, I, I have multiple follow-ups with the doctor and the blood clears and he says, well, he's, it's not necessarily a good thing. You have a, um, you basically have a hole in your retina and it's a pretty large hole and that's why you can't see out of it right now. And so... Fast forward, I go through two surgeries at the University of Iowa. Um, the first surgery wasn't successful. The second one was successful in the sense that it closed that, that hole in my retina. But um, I still had about an 86% loss in vision is what they deemed it. Um, I just have some peripheral use of the left eye. But, yeah, it was a pretty pretty insane accident. You know, I'm, I'm just grateful that it wasn't one of our athletes because, you know, routinely we would have our athletes radar too. So we could write stuff down or we could coach our players. But yeah, I just don't know. I, I don't know how I, I, I couldn't have lived, lived with myself. It was one of our athletes. Cause I mean, I can handle this, but you know, if one of our athletes would have been the one that it would have happened to, it just, I'm sure every coach would feel the same way about it. 
how did the ball get through? Did it break the net or did it go through a hole or what? Yeah, I'm, you know, with, with it being a double net, I mean, the holes can kind of cover themselves up, I would imagine, right? If it's just offset a little bit. So, yeah, I, I don't know if one was already broke and then, you know, it broke through another one or I couldn't tell you. All I know is that it didn't work <laughs> that one time. So, you talk, yeah, it was, it's brutal. You talked about losing 87% of your vision in your left eye and you are a right-handed hitter so that is your main focus eye when you're in the batter's box what brought you back into the batter's box I mean you didn't hit for years and then all of a sudden um, I get a text saying geez Red's hitting tonight uh, what in the world's going on here so <laughs> why that change of heart well I would say probably more than anything peer pressure uh, I had you know, Brett and Rudy and some of those guys uh, texting me saying, hey, do you think you can try to hit again? I think we I think we need a bat in the lineup here. And, I, you know, I'm just thinking, yeah, there's no shot. There's no way. Because the worst part about the injury is just the depth perception. You just don't have depth perception when you don't have main vision in an eye. So I said, you know, I'll think about it, right? And so as soon as they planted that seed, it was over. You know, they're asking me all this. So I go into our facility that summer. I get off the tee. Okay, this is pretty easy. Okay. Some front toss, that's still pretty easy too. Batting practice, okay, I can tell there's a big difference here. But after a couple of days of batting practice, you know, Coach Razo throwing them perfectly in there to me, like a home run derby kind of BP. Felt pretty good about myself. And then I get off the machine. And, again, it's difficult, but I think I can do it. And so I agreed to – start again in the Rickersville tournament back last year, 2021. And uh, thank God I wasn't facing 90 coming into that game. You know, I was facing somebody that was probably, you know, mid-high 70s, and I could see the ball for a little bit and hit. But, yeah, that's – I would say, to answer your question, probably peer pressure, probably those guys saying, all right, Red, see if you can hit, because I don't think you can do any worse than we're doing right now. And so, <laughs> so I jumped back in and, yeah – we won a lot of games after that. It was fun. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. But what is it about the Key West Ramblers organization? I mean, since Johnny Knobble took over, they they had a great stretch. And it seems like the last two summers under Brett Lemire, you guys are doing old school cascade records and cascade runs that, that they did that they almost made a movie around years and years ago. So what is it about the uh, Key West Ramblers that just keeps the train rolling? Yeah, we're just a, you know, we're a pretty tight squad. You know, we've had the same core basically for, God, going on eight years now. You know, uh, you know Coach Spain, Dan Spain, myself, Chad Crable, Anthony Rudin, you know, Raza started playing with us back in, you know, 2014, 2015. Uh, Jake Blunt joined us about five years ago. Um, ben Oglesby, who's been the best nine-hole hitter in, in the entire semi-pro for as long as he's played. Um, God, if I'm missing anybody, I'm going to kick myself. But, you know, that, that same core has just been so crucial, you know, having the same guys show up every day who love playing with each other, uh, playing for each other. And, you know, there's a level of respect that, you know, that we kind of demand out of ourselves to show to, to, to opponents, to umpires, which I think the game repays you, you know, when you, 
when you treat the game with respect and the people with respect, I, I really truly believe that the game repays you. And I think it, it repays you with wins, you know, as long as you're doing it and, and playing it at the right level. We talked about your high school winning streak of 22 games. Key West went on a crazy winning streak this year. What run was more memorable and why? The Hempstead one or the Key West one, if you had to pick one? That's putting me in a bad spot because no matter which one I say, the other group's going to be <laughs> kind of upset with me. God, I I don't know. I, I think both are pretty equal in my opinion. If I had to pick one, you know, maybe maybe this QS team, just for the fact that we played together for so long, you know, we're getting to be kind of old too, right? I mean, we're a lot of us are in our, our 30s now, um, late 20s. Um, like I said, that same core has been playing together for a long time. In high school, you know, the same core usually plays together for a couple of years. So if, if I had to guess, I would I would say by by a squeak, it would be the Key West run. Coach Redman, Red, Andrew, I, I can call you all three of them because <laughs> I, I respect you and, and we're friends outside of this. But thank you for being a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Last question. It's a three-parter before we hit into that podcast-killing double play. Think about the three levels that you've played at. What is your greatest or most memorable performance from high school? Individual performance. It would definitely be the no-hitter I threw out in West Dubuque. Um, My senior year, I threw a no-hitter. To go with that real quick, um, the play that kind of defined it was I must have walked a guy or, or a guy got on in an air or whatever it was. There was a guy in first base. And next guy comes up, and he hits a shallow fly ball to right. Our right fielder is Kyle Banky, one of my best friends. So he's coming in on it, puts his glove up like he's going to catch it, so he kind of deeks the guy at first base. He has to stop in his tracks. He, he, he doesn't catch it. He comes up, throws the ball to second base. Who's at second base? Stevie McDonough, another one of my best friends, who has to pick the baseball, picks it clean, gets the out. So fielder's choice, no hit, right? Um, and after that, it was basically over. I think that was like the fifth inning or something like that. But that was kind of the defining play in that game. It was pretty cool. Same question, but college. F- greatest memory or most memorable performance? Yeah, it would have been my last year. I threw a no-hitter against William Penn and hit a home run in the same game. That would probably be probably be the best performance. How many no-hitters do you have under your belt? Uh, just those two. Uh, I guess semi-pro, I think I have another one, but I think it was a five-inning. It, it was a run rule. I don't count that. All right. Last question, but semi-pro. Greatest or most memorable performance during your semi-pro career? Would have to be definitely Dyersville Tournament 2017 championship game against Balltown. Two of my best friends, Kyle Banky, Joy Sigworth, playing against those guys. I hit three home runs and probably should have hit a fourth, but I flew out to left. Um, but hit three home runs that game in the championship game, and they were pretty loaded. They had brought in quite a few guys, including... Alec Rash, who was a second-round draft pick out of high school to pitch against us, who was a pretty good arm, and we ended up beating him big. But uh, that was definitely probably my most memorable performance in semi-pro. 
Coach Redmond, this was great. Thanks again for taking 35 minutes to be on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Check us out on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter, 643. We're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to stop by Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, and also subscribe on Spotify.